Please turn with me to the Gospel of John, and I want to talk to you this morning about a very important theme of Easter time. Do you enjoy Easter? Is it your favorite time of the year? You know, it certainly is mine. It's all about life and renewal and the good things that God has done. And uh, there's a verse in this uh, 10th chapter that I think really focuses our attention on the great blessing that is ours through all that God accomplished, the Calvary and the empty tomb. Verse 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. How many of you know who the thief is? Satan. But I have come. Jesus says, I have come that they might have what? Life. And have it more abundantly or to the fullest. Jesus explained why he had come, that we might have full life, abundant life, the joy and the blessings of a restored relationship with God for all eternity. How many of you are grateful that this life is yours? How many of you have seen a difference in your life since you discovered this life that God gives through Jesus Christ? You know, I look back through you know, my many years, my journey of faith, and I think about what God has done in my life has truly been abundant. I think about what would have happened if I had settled for anything less. Settled for the pleasures of this world. Settled for the successes that are available in this life and how none of that compares with the joy and the fullness in the spirit that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you ever heard anyone say they regretted accepting Christ, the blessings, the benefits? I've heard many people say that they regret living a life without Him. Why did I wait so long? The joy and the abundance and the favor of God. What a great blessing that it is. Now notice... As he's talking about his relationship with his children as his flock. He's the good shepherd. God as the shepherd of our souls. And this is one of the great pictures that carries through the Old Testament into the New. As our father as the good shepherd. The 23rd Psalm, which is the favorite of many people. Describe how God takes care of his children as a good shepherd takes care of his sheep. There's an illustration of the relationship that takes place between the shepherd and the sheep. I heard about uh, two men who were asked to recite the 23rd Psalm in front of a large class. The first man was very well schooled in speech and rhetoric and oratory and had memorized the piece and stood before the group and with a great booming voice said the Lord's Prayer in a very professional and inspiring way and sat down after him an old man obvious in years with many struggles and difficulties in life stood up 
And he recited the same psalm. And there was silence. There was reverence towards God. And the students were there wondering about the difference. And before the teacher could explain what was going on, the first man who stood up and had given such a great presentation with his great rhetoric said, well, the difference is, I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. There's a big difference, isn't there? In knowing the psalm or knowing the good shepherd revealed in the psalm. And it's the life journey of that relationship with God which makes such a difference. Has He shepherded you through this life? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Are you grateful for the good shepherd of your soul? A loving shepherd. Well, Jesus is explaining this relationship. And He's saying there are false shepherds. There are hirelings who, because they are paid a wage, take care of the sheep. But there is a good, a good shepherd that lays his life down for his sheep. And uh, if you've uh, studied about the shepherds and the sheep that still, by the way, are in Israel and in the area of Bethlehem around Jerusalem, you still see the shepherds tending their flocks. And these shepherds would find uh, an enclosure where they could protect their sheep and lay down in the opening of that enclosure, use their own body as the gate to protect the sheep. And Jesus is saying, that's how I lay my life down to protect my sheep. Aren't you glad that you're in His fold? That you have accepted His protection, His life? And Jesus said, and my sheep know my voice. And they hear me. They hear my voice and they follow me. How important it is for us to hear the Lord's uh, voice. I heard a story about uh, a great uh, football game where uh, the crowd was cheering and excited as the, the uh, intensity of the game increased. And then a little dog somehow ran out onto the football field. And uh, the referees realized they couldn't continue the game until they got the dog off of the field. And so they started to chase after the dog and then the players. And everybody was laughing as this comical scene of these players and referees chasing after the dog. And the dog ran back and forth and back and forth and suddenly stopped and looked up into the grandstands. And there he saw his master. And as soon as he saw his master, he just made a beeline. For the one that he loved. The one that took care of him. And it was all over. And I thought about how you and I in the crowd of this life. And all the confusion and the chaos. And being chased by all the forces that are around us. We need to see our master. And the love connection we have with him. And make our direction straight towards him. How many of you know that God can lead you out of the confusion of this world? God knows how. To reach out to you in your time of chaos and give you hope and direction and light. And so it is. We need to hear His voice. We need to know Him. We need to follow Him. Listen, this is good counsel for you today. It's good counsel for anyone in any set of circumstances. Listen for God's voice and obey whatever He tells you to do. Isn't that good counsel? It applies to every decision, every situation. And Jesus says, 
this is the way it's supposed to work as we realize we have a good shepherd. Now, he warns us about those false shepherds that flee. What's the test of whether we have a good shepherd or a false shepherd? Well, when the wolves come, when danger appears, the hirelings flee. It's only the good shepherd that will lay his life down. And this is a very practical test in terms of uh, devotion and willingness uh, to serve. Pastor Phil and I have been pastors long enough to know that there are pastors and shepherds that are more like hirelings than they are like good shepherds. And when the trouble comes, when there's stress, when there's conflict, or when there's opportunity that represents uh, something better for that pastor, the pastor disappears. And uh, I appreciate Phil and Sharon, and as we share together, and Ginger and I get together with them, and we encourage each other, and that the values of being the kind of pastor that hears God's voice and is obedient. And, you know, it's as simple as that. Listening to God and obeying. It's not about circumstances and changes and opportunities, but it's about being faithful. And I, I know that uh, Phil and I both have this desire just to be good shepherds, good pastors. Not hirelings, but good shepherds according to the model of Jesus Christ. And God helps us do that. But each of us in our families, in our work, in our relationships need to be good shepherds. Can I ask you this question? How are you shepherding the responsibilities that God has given you? Are you taking care of those things that God has trusted to your care? Very important principle. As you grow in your relationship with Christ... He will show you how to be responsible. Now, the thief described as the one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus is the one who brings life, abundant life. The fullness, the fullness of life that only God can give. I want to share with you some principles of this life this morning because You know, there's some confusion among Christians today about what this full or abundant life is really about. You know, if your only source of information about this abundant life was Christian television, you may be confused. Because there are a lot of preachers on Christian television who make promises about about the abundant life that may not really be grounded in Scripture. Have you heard things like, If you give to this ministry, you'll always be happy, you'll always be healthy, you'll always have life the way you want it. We hear that kind of stuff on television all the time. And it's not just, there are some great teaching ministries on television. We've got to be discerning. And by the way, do you know how ministers get to be on television? Is because they're so godly and such good Christian leaders? No, it's because they pay for the time. It's true. Anyone who's got the money can be on television to preach or use that time however they want. And that's why we've got to look beyond the appearance. We've got to see Jesus as the good shepherd who is really the the author and finisher of our faith. And we need to have the kind of values that reflect truly the principles of the kingdom. But listen, there, there is a lot of teaching today about the abundant life which really is beyond really beyond the instruction of Scripture in terms of what God has promised. 
How many of you really know that God has promised us an abundant life? How many of you also know that that means more than just being wealthy and happy and healthy in this world and having your own personal utopia because you did what the preacher told you to do? Am, Am I being too critical here? You understand what I'm saying? Listen, we need to step back and get the eternal perspective and realize this abundant life is about God's plan for eternal life, eternal fulfillment. And there are some sacrifices to be made in this life, in this world. There's some suffering to go through before we get there. There's some losses that we will have to consider. But ultimately, God's promise will be fulfilled in each of our lives as we know that truly, truly, His gift to us is about uh, abundance. And can you honestly say that your life has been pretty abundant since Jesus entered the picture? The abundance, the blessing, the provision, the care and the help, the quality of life, incredible, that comes to us through Jesus Christ. I want you to focus on the abundant life that God has for you by looking past your current circumstances. Looking past the struggles and suffering and losses of this world with an eternal perspective to see all that God has for you, which is so far beyond your comprehension. There's a wonderful little book which has become a classic devotion book by Paul Bilheimer on Destined for the Throne. How many of you know this book? Have you seen it? Have you read it? It's an incredible picture of our destiny in Christ and that all of this life culminates before the throne of God and there as we worship Him and know Him and recognize that this is what we were made for. This is our greatest fulfillment. And he simply asks the practical question, if that's where it's all headed, why delay surrendering to Him? Why Take these side paths and detours. Why seek after your own pleasure and benefit knowing that ultimately our greatest fulfillment will be in Him. So why not begin now by letting go of those things that interfere with our relationship with God. Do you have a vision of that abundant life in terms of the fullness of joy That only those who are in right relationship with God, only those who receive their eternal reward. Listen, I don't want to trade that for anything in this world, do you? There's nothing, nothing that compares with the blessing and the benefit and the abundance of the life that we have in God. And so why should we give up that eternal glory, that eternal fulfillment for something which is temporal. Well, I want us to share about three important uh, principles related to this life that I think will be helpful. And we've already had one in our focus this morning in worship. This life, this abundant life, really requires three things that I want to share with you. And may be a surprise in some of the contemporary thinking regarding what it really means to receive the abundance and fullness of God's promise. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians and the first chapter and the 18th verse. This is the first requirement that I want you to consider. 1 Corinthians 1.18 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And this shows that the abundant life that God has promised us requires, of all things, the cross. The cross. How is it that a cross could be so important, so instrumental in our salvation and the fulfillment of God's promise? Well, the cross, in the cross, it, our sin and our sinful nature is revealed. Through the cross, the blood sacrifice is complete for our forgiveness. And through the, the cross, our pride is canceled and we receive a correct understanding of our true relationship with God. It's totally dependent upon His grace. I'll never forget a professor I had right here at the University of New Mexico when I was a young college student who always was offended by what he called that bloody old cross that the Christians talk about. So offended that this instrument of death would be so revered in history. And I felt sorry for that professor and prayed for him and still do from time to time realizing that he could stumble over that what he calls bloody Christ, bloody cross, failing to realize the gift that is ours through recognizing the value of that cross. Do you love the cross this morning? Are you grateful for it? You know, there's no more universal symbol of Christianity worldwide than the cross. To be grateful for that cross and to recognize that it is through that cross that the greatest gift was given. Now, do you understand the cross fully? No, and guess what? No one else does. It's a mystery. It's beyond our comprehension to understand the fullness of how that cross is used in our salvation. But we have enough truth. We have enough gospel. We have enough instruction to know that this was God's plan. This is God's purpose. This is God's way and the fact that it offends us in our, in our intellect, offends our value system, is part of the process that we need to humble ourselves before God. It's through the cross that we're able to humble ourselves and recognize the value of our salvation. Do you see that the cross is, cross is really the pathway to the fulfillment and the abundance of the life that God has promised. Second principle I want you to see. Turn with me to John chapter 15. I want us to move from the cross to the second thing which is necessary. As Jesus taught, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. This is the second thing that's required, and that is cultivation. Cultivation. God wants to cultivate us. As the gardener, He plants, He prunes, He preserves, He protects. He takes the life that has begun and He nurtures it in a very creative and responsible way to produce something which is alive, something that bears 
fruit. And we see the cultivation process is so very, very important. Aren't you glad that God is cultivating you? He really is. And uh, He planted you. He's caring for you. He does the pruning on a regular basis. And He wants you to produce fruit that is truly worthy of His kingdom. He knows how. He's the master gardener. He knows how to do this. When I think about uh, the importance of gardening well, I, I, I'm reminded of uh, something that happened uh, with uh, uh, Jamie when she was oh, probably seven or eight years old and was given a plant at church, a neat little flower, cute little flower. She brought it home and she wanted to run out in the backyard and plant it in the garden. And so I went back there with her and she planted it and I left on a trip for a few days and I came back and she was very sad about her flower. And I said, well, let's go take a look. And we went out and we looked at this poor flower that just had fallen over, lifeless thing. And I said, well, tell me what happened. She says, I don't know. She said, I pulled it up every day and checked the roots. (laughs) You know, the gardening that God has in our lives requires incredible skill. He knows not to pull us up and check the roots. He knows how to water and fertilize and nurture and cultivate and prune to make us fruitful. And can I just, this morning, if you don't hear anything else, just, can I encourage you just to relax and enjoy being in His garden? (laughs) And realize whatever is wrong with you, He knows how to fix. He knows how to help you. He knows what you need. He's going to take care of you. And He's going to help you to grow into the the, 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 to fulfill His purpose for you. You know, some of us as plants in His garden act like it's all up to us. We have to, we have to cultivate ourselves. How many of you know that a relationship with Christ is more than self-help? I thank, I'm grateful for all the helpful books, the self-help books that do help us learn things and do things and get better. But listen, this is so far beyond self-help. This is about realizing that life that God gave us, that He cultivates and takes care of, and we can rest and trust that He's going to finish the good work that He's begun in us. One of my very favorite scriptures is Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that He will finish the work that He's begun in us. Are you grateful for that? Are you grateful? Stop trying so hard and realize... God knows how to take care of you and finish the good work that He's begun. The third principle I want you to see is taken from 1 Thessalonians and the 5th chapter. And this is a wonderful, uh, all-encompassing picture of God's plan for us in terms of enabling us to know and experience and receive the abundant life that He's prepared for us. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 23. I hope you have this underlined in your Bible by now. If not, underline it this morning. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. Now as we talked about the cross 
And we talked about the cultivation which are necessary. Here I want us to see our consecration. Consecration. Are you familiar with the word? Consecration. It was uh, one of the words we often heard from Sister Dodd. Do you remember? Consecration. And uh, as a student uh, in theology and later one who was responsible for teaching student ministers, the word of consecration always stood out to me. And to understand what consecration is, is to understand that we're involved in a relationship with God which is greater than we are in terms of His commitment to perfect us. And there's two parts. Let me give you a simple definition. Two key words. One is sanctification, and the second is consecration. Sanctification has to do with all that God pours out upon us to help us. All of His grace and His mercy, His correction, His forgiveness, all that He does to perfect us, which is generated by Him for us, which has nothing to do with our worthiness. Are you grateful for that? He's committed to finish the good work that He started. He sanctifies us. The word literally means to be set apart for a holy purpose. And that is, God sets you apart. And He's going to perfect you and make you holy. There is our response to God, which has to do with our consecration, which is really the picture of bringing the sacrifice and offering it with God. And for us, the sacrifice is what? Us. You, you are the only sacrifice you have to give to God. And you place yourself in a position to receive in responding to God's grace. Now, do you see how we need both? We need all that God is doing for us, and then we need to surrender to that. And that is the consecration to place ourselves with God, with His purposes. To place ourselves under His ministry and simple things that's why it's important for us to read the word every regularly to pray to go to church to offer yourself in service that's your part as God is doing so many wonderful things to help us and perfect we respond as we offer ourselves to him and so the necessity of that consecration and here we see the picture Look at this picture in verse 23. That God may do this as He sanctifies us, our whole person, spirit and soul and body, to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means He wants the whole being, the physical part, the the soul, the spirit, the mind, the will, the emotion, all that we are, He wants us to offer ourselves to Him. Now some Christians take this verse and uh, really emphasize the different parts. Really, the Apostle is emphasizing the wholeness of this. All that we are, all that we have, our total identity, our total self, presenting it to the Lord. And recently, as we studied Romans 12.1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the same picture of offering ourselves completely to Him. 
And so, you know, one of the, the practical ways we enter into the abundant life is simply by offering ourselves to the Lord. Now, you say, you do feel like, you know, you're not worthy. You feel like, you know, how can God want you when you are the way you, trust me, He wants you just the way you are. Just come to Him and offer Himself to you. Aren't you glad that you don't have to fix yourself all up, straighten out your life before you come to God? That holds many people back from repentance and from renewal. And I've felt that way before, have you? Well, if I can fix this, this, and this, and then I could really present myself to you. No, bring yourself to God just the way you are, and He will help you. He will give you the comfort and reassurance of His love, and He will begin to minister new hope and faith in you so that you can begin afresh, begin anew in a new direction, realizing that His abundant life really is for you. And so, what about this life that He's promised? What about all that He's called us to? Let me, let me conclude by just saying, asking the, let me ask you this question. Do you really want the abundant life that God has for you? Do you really want it? Is there some distraction in your life that's holding you back, that's keeping you from that? Well, take a moment to reflect upon the cross, the sufficient sacrifice that was made for you personally, that God wants to cultivate you. He wants to finish the good work that He started. And that what He wants from you is that you would offer yourself to Him in a new, bold way. Who you are today, your new circumstances. Jesus said, daily take up your cross. Daily offer yourself to Him. And you will know the reassurance that comes to those who have discovered that God really, really did make a promise that He intends to fulfill as the abundant full life that is ours for the asking, for the accepting, really makes a difference in the way we live. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank you for this promise. We thank you for this Easter season where we are so aware, made so aware of the new life. We consider the empty tomb and how our hearts are full because Jesus is risen. And we are so very grateful. Help us even this morning, Lord, to recommit ourselves to you and this great purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.